My name is Jeremy Lassen, and I'm here with Eleanor Slate, and we are the co-hosts of the Old Bookseller and Young Bookseller podcast. Eleanor, I wanted to start out this inaugural episode by asking you if you recognize the reference I'm making with the title of this podcast. Do you know what an old bookseller and young bookseller refers to? I do not, Jeremy. (laughs) Feel free to enlighten me. Well, I guess that right there is going to capture the dynamic of this podcast, right? (laughs) I'm going to make some old dorky, old school dorky reference, and Eleanor is going to ask me to stop being some old foggy Gen X edgelord, and then I'll explain myself. And so here's me explaining myself. In the movie The Exorcist, it features an old priest and a young priest, and they have to solve a problem. And so in my life... As a Gen X edgelord, I guess, I often find myself when confronted with a tough problem, will grumble, "Ugh, I need an old priest and a young priest to, you know, (laughs) or I'll like, you know, shout at the computer, like, don't make me get an old priest and a young priest. And so it was a reference to the exorcist. So that's, that's what we're going, going for there with the title of that is a nice shout out to the exorcist and to the, the, the knobbly problems. Sure. That one faces when confronted with an interesting piece of literature. And having a older perspective and a newer, less experienced perspective, I suppose. Well, that's the other dynamic that I think is really cool. Um, One of the first conversations we had when we started working together was about genre fiction and what genre fiction was. Right. And I, I talked about how it was a, a long conversation, how is a conversation between writers and readers that goes on for multiple generations and is intergenerational. And so I like the idea of, you know, an older reader and a younger reader conversing about the books they love. I think that's kind of cool. And, you know, part of what genre fiction and the dialogue around genre fiction is. So thus the title. I love it. So the other thing that's Podcast is going to contain a spoilers. This is not a review podcast. We're not trying to convince you of anything. We're not trying to sell the book. Um, we're just going to talk about uh, the book and why we liked it, why we didn't like it, what we thought was interesting or cool, or the, the bits that were really, really meaty. And to do that, I think you have to kind of go into details. You can't talk around spoilers. So if you haven't read the book and you're worried about spoilers, don't listen to this podcast. The book that we're talking about this 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 month in this podcast is uh, Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia, and uh, appropriately enough, it's October when we're recording this. Spooky season. Spooky season. So one could call this a horror novel, and certainly um, the author is familiar with, with horror fiction. Another genre it's playing around with is maybe gothic romance, the tradition yeah. of those gothic romance novels. What what do you think? Where did where did this novel land for you? As far as genre, yeah. Um, I for me, I would say I'm scared easily, so it was a horror. But um, I certainly see the gothic gothic romance in it as well. I think it's a wonderful blend, actually. Yeah, I was I was very pleased with how the the peanut butter and chocolate of that. Yeah kind of came together because she, the author, she was very familiar with the traditions of both um, genres and was playing on both of those. So I thought it was really cool. 
What what in particular struck you about this book, or what did you want to start off talking about? I'm going to throw the ball to you. Sure. You know, I really feel that there's so many things to talk about in regards to this book. We had briefly discussed it, and you had mentioned the yellow wallpaper and tying it into that story. And so I went and read um, that short story, and wow, it really does. It, it, It ties in. I thought it was very interesting, especially during the time period that she wrote this book of women being with mental health issues or or being told they had mental health issues and it was just a a weakness or an ailment and going to the country home to get away from society, which ultimately was probably the cause of, of said mental health issues. And I thought that that was a really fun thing that she played around with in this, in this book. Yeah, absolutely. That issue of, the patriarchal society is kind of gaslighting yeah. the, the the strong, outspoken women. Definitely is a subtext in a lot of kind of gothic fiction. Yeah. And, you know, fits fits nicely into the, the horror fiction genre as well. And this novel just, just hit all of those notes. I was reminded a lot of maybe the 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 horror novel, the mid 20th century horror novels of Shirley Jackson, like the haunting also features similar women whose, um, sanity is questioned. And, Mm. and a lot of times her fiction is characterized as psychological horror. Right. And so I think, I think the author has a deep familiarity with, with these themes. So I thought it was cool how she played around with that. Um, one of the things that I thought she did nicely in the the gothic mold was she set up the kind of um, Byronic Byronic Byron Lord Byron Byronic. I we'll say know. I'm gonna say Byronic yeah, we... <laughs> Byronic hero Byronian. No, Byronian is no. not right. Let's go for Byronic right now. I don't know. You're you are uh, the expert. So oh, that's you so know sad. I, I can bear. This is no. about as horror specific as I can get. This is about as scary as I can get with with books, so which is sad, but it's the truth. Well no, that's good to to kind of have somebody who is not deeply right. enmeshed in horror fiction mm-hmm. to get that that sense. And and that's one thing that I, I, I was also struck me about this book is how it had a huge crossover in mainstream literature. Like yeah. it was marketed and published as right. Not as horror fiction, not as genre fiction, mm-hmm. but as a, a mainstream literary novel. And I feel like maybe some of the, I don't want to say the sharp edges were worn down, but I think some of the genre elements were soft sold or, or were, were presented in, a, in a, a sedate pace so that maybe non-genre readers would be more comfortable coming to it. Because if she had jumped right into the deep end of like, you know, fungal pits and sentient right. <laughs> mushrooms and stuff like right. in chapter one, right. I think the would have the, lost the Mondays wouldn't have uh, yeah. wouldn't have been here for the book. Yeah. So there was in telling this story, she was certainly had an ideal audience in mind, and it wasn't necessarily like readers of horror fiction, which I thought was a great 
um, opportunity to talk to you about this book. Yeah. And so the, the, she kind of seduces you in with, yeah. no, with Noemi. I feel that she's a strong willed kind of outlier of that time wants to go to university to get her master's and you know it's a female protagonist at the as you know a main character it's awesome i think that that kind of drew a lot of people in a woman of color um oh, it but your to your point it didn't feel like a horror novel to me for a very long time right. and it kind of started wading in and then i was like oh wait i'm getting i'm getting scared and my my partner actually had left around the midpoint of the book and i had to like put it down for a few days because i was <laughs> by myself i was like wait a second what's perfect, going on perfect like that's the power of the narrative there where, right. where you can get you yeah. like alone in the house looking around and, and jumping oh living in an old house also i was like oh it's the house that's what it's, <laughs> it's like, do, you, do you have a little bit of a mold problem in your house um, yeah i kind of do yeah, so that, yeah that really well that was actually the second thing that struck me was you know i'm i would say i'm not new but i'm definitely not an expert in genre fiction but um this idea of fungi and, and mushrooms. Um, I did some research and I was like looking into it and even without a fantastical element to them, they are wild. There are just so many wild things about fungi and mushrooms without adding anything to them. So I thought what an interesting way to make it almost like it could be real. Yeah. And you had a little bit of, um, you know, science or real life or right. natural phenomenon, and right. then you and then you just like subtly layer on top of that yeah. instead of instead of coming out the gate and saying like, well, you know, like the the lizard people live amongst right. us, <laughs> and mushroom people. the mushroom people, which is a brilliant movie by the way, Attack oh. of the Mushroom People is a Japanese movie based okay. on a William Hope Hodgson short story called The Voice in the Night. Ah. Oh. So good. So good. The movie itself was kind of a not-so-subtle metaphor for addiction, but ultimately some great imagery in that. I chased after that movie for years. I saw it when I was like a young kid on like the late-night movie, afternoon movie thing on television. And and for years I was like, does anybody know what Attack of the Mushroom <laughs> People is? And then, and then, of course, the internet came along and, and then I was I, – I, I realized like, oh – William Hope Hodgson was the inspiration for that. Anyway, no, I was, I was when I was reading about the fungi and the mushrooms. Apparently, it's like a huge strain in in gothic novels and horror horror that I had no idea existed. And I read that the the fungi that they talk about that she writes about in the book that overtake is it I don't remember if it's a hornet or a wasp. But it basically is it an ant where it makes them zombies. Well, yeah, like basically their butt and genitalia fall off, and in its place, this like mushroom spore exists, and then it just makes them want to hump each other, like until they die, basically. But they're they're having a great time, which is and it helps propagate the fungus, right? And I was just like, how 
that and being real is really freaked me out. And then the idea of, again, mushrooms and fungi being able to, like you have the psychedelic nature to it, which lends into the mental health, which could possibly have someone have these visions of the wall moving and like hearing voices and, and yeah. those kind of things. So you have that element and then she did a great job narrative wise of, of keeping you guessing of like, so is our protagonist crazy right. is something really going on here. And she threaded that, that, that the eye of that needle uh, from, well, that's a terrible version of that. <laughs> she walked along that, narrow edge for a long time before she decided, you know, narratively, which way she was going to leap. Well, honestly, she probably knew all along which way she was leaping, but us, the readers were unsure as to which side of the narrative our protagonist was going to fall off of. Right. Ooh, I like that. That was good. Was that that good? That was good. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, So there's also, um, you know, the fungus, in the novel has been described as Lovecraftian and I feel like that may be a little bit of a stretch. Like for me, this didn't feel like a terrible Lovecraftian novel, but again, I I think maybe it was the soft selling of the, of those aspects of it because the author is, is, is intimately familiar with, she's edited several, co-edited several anthologies of Lovecraftian fiction. Okay. Um, She has a, long editing um, career and is intimately familiar with a lot of the kind of forms um, and archetypes and cliches of, of horror fiction. And so I thought it was really interesting how she chose to step back from some of them or soft sell some of them in this book. The other thing that she did was she flipped that, um, that archetype of, of, gothic romance on its head where you have you know the the charismatic hero the 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 sexy byronic byronic when i was trying to get to earlier (laughs) for the sexy you know protagonist who she's gonna butt heads with but and there's a power discrepancy at the heart of the you know the 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 conflict and it's you know i guess maybe you know in, in a lot of the forms of the gothic romance it's it's their love that kind of ends up being the great leveler. Mm. So you have a societal um, disparate power levels enforced by society. But then, you know, because she becomes the apple of her his eye or whatever, they become equals. And it's the, the that hero who, like, lessens himself to become one with her or to become her equal. You know, that's one way to okay, yeah, one way no. to look at it. And that's the exact opposite right. of this. Like we have the the younger cousin who is the Francis. Francis, who is is not the sexy one. No. And he's not the charismatic one. She really one. went out of her way to point out like she kind of was pointing at Virgil, who was like the cut cheeks and the handsome, and then it was like Ooh, but Francis is not that. Right. Like right. that was like exp- like I'm pretty sure in the book it was like he was not that right right pale and sickly Mm -hmm. yeah you're right you're totally right and he had this a a quiet inner strength but he was ultimately answered to his mother like he was kind of like the mommy's boy and an answer to his his cousin and 
And eventually he finds that strength and he does, you know, the thing that the plot needs to help both both Noemi and, and her cousin get out from under the, the spell of, right. the, of the, you know, she, he starts slipping the, the tincture the tinc- to them. Yeah. Tincture? Tincture. Tincture. I always add an extra. Let's go with yours. You know, I kind of, <laughs> we can call it that. <laughs> tincture. If I can ever yeah. add an extra syllable, yeah. I do. And even if I'm not supposed to, I do. It's an art. <laughs> What's that? What's that expression about? Like, um, I mispronounce words because I read. <laughs> oh, it's like I have a huge vocabulary and I can't pronounce most of the words. Um, but so he he steps up and and provides that. But ultimately, like his efforts are subverted by his cousin, and it's not his efforts. Like the cousin kind of sneaks in and is like, ha ha, right. you, you, you thought you were going to pull one over on us and now I'm going to rape you. Right. And yeah. like that, that kind of like climax there. Yeah. And, and it was, was interesting how, again, how there's a sense of like, we're going to get out of it. We're going to get out of it. This nightmare, we're going to get out of it. And then that, that, you know, patriarchal figure like storming in and, and that threat that had been building throughout the whole novel. Yeah. It was simmering. Certainly, and it started out with the, the with the dream yeah. and in the of the bathtub and the which wake- you weren't sure which was a dream or not right and when it I first happened yeah. and then waking up in his bedroom and yeah like the whole you're sleepwalking you know tied into a lot of the using women's mental health against them right. or as a tool against them of like oh well. Clearly, you have issues because right, and also the the attraction that she was experiencing towards Virgil, which she did not welcome, but it was like in the moment of these dreams, or even it's almost like every time she encountered him, and maybe it was kind of t- uh, a callback to what you were saying of the old story plots of the strong male, the handsome male with like the female. So like maybe he's supposed to be who she's attracted to and she feels this attracting attraction towards him. And even in those dream sequences where, you know, she, you know, they're doing touching and, and she in the moment is wrapped up in this passion or, but then afterwards and kind of during, she just has this like dread or this disgust with it. And I thought that was an, really powerful choice, I suppose, of, of, of throwing that in there. Cause it's not just as simple as her and Francis end up happily ever after. Right. And, know? and it had the, um, her, um, ownership of her own sexuality was kind of established right at the beginning of the book. Absolutely. She, you know, dated the boys she liked. She hung with the boys she wanted to, but she was, like there was a strong sense of, you know, independence established early on. And it was unsurprising to have the the bad guy protagonist throw that back in her face. Mm, as it often is. And 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 basically say, Well, you're just a slut anyway. Right. And re- the mother had repeatedly said, Well, you're not good enough for my son. Mm. And so there's these constant... Um, and saying like, oh, you're really strong-headed, aren't you? Like, just yeah. stay, like really condescending, like, oh, you really think 
you know everything and like you're very you know just kind of like you're not staying in your place right and and also he would he made comments of like well of course you're attracted to me because you're a slut was yeah. was kind of you know mm-hmm. where a lot of that was coming and the the great betrayal and when you go over the edge of that narrative where you're like oh wait no there's this mind controlling fungus that's influencing her right and these assholes know about it mm-hmm. and these assholes are explicitly manipulating her and that was when you know the narrative flips and you realize just the depths of both her danger and the depths of the yeah. malignancy of this family yeah and so it seems like it starts out with the stakes are are are, are, are pretty high because she's going out in this mountain this manor that's cut off from the village it's a long drive away there's no way so you know the stakes are pretty high to begin with Right. And she's going in in a combative situation. And there is this give and take that, you know, he does sort of play with his food, so to speak. Absolutely. You know, he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry we came on so strong and I'm just trying, you know, there was, oh, there was. I forgot the, about that. He really was just really, toying with her. Yeah. Like, a, you're right. He was like playing with his food because, yeah, he would. He would be super super abrupt super rude to her and then afterwards like when they were alone he would come in in a seductive way and be like oh we're friends i'm, just I'm on so, your team i'm just so worried about my wife and what she's facing and and can you understand me and yeah, yeah there is like heavy manipulation going on there and so capturing that dynamic in the narrative was like it was really powerful yeah. and and the scene where i think where she mistrusts her own choices the most is when her cousin reacts to the tincture yeah and starts you know almost dying and he comes back and you know confronts her and is like you almost killed my wife right you almost killed her what are you doing and she has this moment of like what am i doing what why am i making these choices what what and 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 that moment of indecision yeah and it's interesting, and it wasn't necessarily clear, but but our 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 um our our non-hero Francis is the one who reaches out to her in her moment of indecision and says like, "No, it wasn't the first time," and yeah. it was vague enough in narrative that it wasn't clear as to what exactly he meant by it. But that was her lifeline that he threw out. Narratively speaking, I thought that was a, you know, it took on heavier weight as the narrative went on. And you're like, oh, right. When Francis did that. Yeah. 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 I I actually forgot that he had done that. Because he kept trying to warn her away. He did. He kept trying to ask her to, to, to leave. It was, you know, he really, it. He really found his voice at the end there because for a long time I was just kind of like, what are you doing? But I actually like that he didn't think he could do it. Like the entire story, he didn't think he could actually be of service or or break free of this familial god cult worship thing. And and, and, and yet he tried anyways, Yeah, which I admired. Instead of just the hero that's like, I'm going to, you know... Clearly, I can separate I can, I myself can from this, these forces. I can do this, I'm strong enough to leave, and love will, you know, 
to feed anything, but he kind of goes in it just kind of like, I don't know if I can actually help you. And to your point, not really willing to betray the family secrets for a long time. Right. And I thought Naomi's assumption about who was going to be taken over by the 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 godfather yes, figure that's such a good point where it you know she assumed oh well you know the older cousin you know the son is is you know he's going to subsume his personality and no and all along it's it was going to be uh francis who was going to be taken over by the um you Where know by you the patriarchal god figure yeah and and that storyline of being um you know taken over by a ancestral mind um actually is now that i think about it a, a pretty strong reference to a to a lovecraft story but so i guess the lovecraftian stuff isn't that go. subtle it's <laughs> it's just not told from the point of view of the poor suffered young you know person who's being taken over it's, and it's, it's, again, it's a nice flip there. It's a nice, nice yeah. change of the narrative, I think. And so when he, but he never steps out of that shadow. And ultimately, you know, his efforts to kind of save them do fail and lead to the, the, the kind of chase down into the crypt. Oof. And, and I thought that that, um, well, when we get when we get the flashbacks, uh, it seemed like some of the the flashbacks were felt a little bit info dumpy, of like here we're going to explain how the fungus worked, or right. here we you know I went into the fugue state, I had the dream, or you know the fungus is now telling me what happened, and it seemed like a lot of that was a little bit cumbersome. Or, or was a little bit kind of like I've got to get it out there, and this is this is the best vehicle I have to get this information out there because none of the protagonists are going to be talking about it. Sure. Um, I mean, it was literally it was pretty much the only way to get some of those familial details, some of those ancient details of how that happened. Besides, that- I suppose the the witch doctor kind of giving him another vague account of yeah, the and morning. that and that wouldn't. It wouldn't be in keeping with the mm-hmm. with the narrative because the the you know the the people in the village don't know the details you yeah. know they're not party to um the the true nature of the the canna family and its you know multi generational hive mind thing that's living in the house because at this point it's it's the house that has a brain and the people are just, right. you know, fingers and arms yeah. and limbs. Like, the entire house, like, they talk about the mold growing through the house. And yeah. so it's like the, the tendrils, it's like a nervous system. And yeah. when they finally go down into the crypt, I... Well, this is the other thing that really stood out for me narrative-wise, was her interest in the first wife. Right. And when she sees the statue in the cemetery of the first wife... And she tries to reconcile this 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 statue of a woman literally up on a pedestal with the words that the 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 grandfather had 
talked about her. Yeah, she was here for a couple of months. Yeah, but she, couldn't she, have a, died. She, she couldn't have a kid and yeah. died. And fortunately, her sister was here and I shacked up with her. I was just like, yeah, that's romantic. Which so. ended up being his sister's. Yeah. Yuck. I mean, okay, now I'm totally going to um, break down here and reveal that, like, there's a little bit that I didn't quite get on this book okay. and I wasn't able to nail down. So you assumed, like I did on the first read through, that the flashback to the old patriarch guy who found the mushrooms and then went back home to his sister's. Was that the grandfather who went to Mexico and founded the silver mine? Or was the person who, who went to Mexico already several generations down from the hive mind? Because I think the original sisters and the original guy who took the mushrooms was was earlier. Oh. Because they talked about having to bring soil from England to make sure the mushrooms grew. So the mushrooms were from Europe. The mushrooms were found in Europe in some, you know. Yeah, I don't. And so that was that was kind of my reading of it was, but it was very, very, you know, the two sisters that he brought who became his wives were really like, you know, because the narrative then talked about the original guy and his sisters um, there was a weird conflation there. And so I, I don't know, like, were the mushrooms found in Mexico by this family? And he went and did the, 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 um, you know, the God thing. Were they from, were the Mex were the mushrooms from Mexico or was there another generation, several generations removed mm -hmm. and they left Mexico, they left England and came to Mexico and built the new, you know, mother tree, the the mother tree of the mushroom. Um, the mother tree. The mo I mean, and so I, I, I feel the like I feel like I think that it, it's this. The reason I thought it was the same three, I thought it was him and his two younger sisters. Yeah, is because of the heavy emphasis on eugenics that was in the novel. Right, of right. Her focusing on and him being like it should stay in the family line and he wanted it to be pure. Like it seemed like it, that's the reason I kind of followed along with that. But to your point, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. Cause I know that he, my memory is a little foggy on this part, but I, I thought that he like was like staying with some sort of like tribe. Yeah. Which they, is another, and they had been using the mushrooms, just not quite in the same Right. creating a, a, a god right um, and 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 so that was also um i kind of go back and forth i'm not sure and i feel like maybe i didn't do a close enough reading yeah. maybe i didn't pay attention enough but it it, it seems like there's an implication that it went past you know the the how long ago was this and it seemed like it was longer than the founding of the silver mine in Mexico and the and the, the emphasis on eugenics is you know certain people can carry and be consumed by the mushroom um, better than others better than others and so that's why there's this focus on eugenics you know there's okay. a there's I, a practicality okay. associated with that we can only become one with the mushroom god 
we have the right genes. <laughs> and and the whole kind of choice to try and clean up, you know, bring somebody else in and that initial dinner where they talk about oh. like Oh well, do you? What about this eugenicist who says like some of these savages should be bred into the stronger lines to create? I was just like, ugh. And I thought, and I thought that was one of the defining moments for the character when, um, you know, her internal monologue was, "I am not going to let assholes like this right. get the better of me. I'm not going to act out. I'm not going to be mad." I'm going to be cool, calm, and collected, and I'm going to speak in their language, and I'm going to throw it right back in their face. And and her calm collectedness is like what impressed Grandpa. Right. You know, he was like, yep, yep, see, should have mar- should have gotten this one instead <laughs> of our flighty one that you did get. There's this weird kind of acquisition of like breeding stock kind of quality to his – the way he was running the household. Right. It would, you know, I mean, this is, a, it's a little unrelated, but I did, I had the thought of they want, even in the story, talking back, going back to feminism, like they want this weak women, woman who's going to listen to the rules and be polite and proper. And then, you know, they have sort of that in Catalina, the cousin who comes, but then ultimately it ends up being this like wild, you know, spitfire, intelligent, you know, hard headed woman that ends up being the better fit for, you know, both the, the fungi, um, like host site, but also to your point, the grandfather was like, Oh, you should have married this one. And Oh, we need her in the family. Like we need that. So I, that contrast of wanting, they say they want like the weak woman, but right. really that's, they want to like either break down the, str- like maybe there's like an element of that that's like enticing to. Right. Well, and it, it, it gets to the core visual um, element that stood out for me. Like this, this weird kind of patriarchy is like, they're literally putting, you know, these women on a pedestal, like the, the first sister, you know, the first mother up on the statue in the cemetery. And sacrificing. And and they're like, what's up with this? And they sacrifice her. But then literally down in the crypts, she's like on the mantle above like the marble oh. mantle. She's like mounted on the wall, like trophy, like screaming in her like, you know. Oh, that's. Yeah. yeah like that, that visual was haunting. Yeah. and 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 it literally was that like the perfect metaphor for what you know this type of patriarchy does to women yeah you know the the we will bind you and put you on the mantle and you'll be a prize and you will lie here you know screaming in horror and terror for the rest of your life mm-hmm. Ugh, like yeah, yeah that's it Oof. yeah and yeah. so those those kind of like when she first saw the statue in the top in the top of the cemetery and there's that weird kind of like focus on it like it really stood out when i was reading it i was like okay yeah what is is this this seems kind of weird and alluded to the inconsistency in the the family story about about the two initial wives right but then led directly to the like oops we tripped and we pulled down the wall hanging and you know 
<laughs> moment of like you know reveal and yeah it was it was quite horrific it was quite uh um yeah it was that moment of i i loved how the author kind of managed to pull the that moment of existential dread <laughs> out of that you know kind of symbol of you know feminist symbol of like what you know, patriarchy does to women. Yeah. They put them on a pedestal. They, they mount them. They're like objects. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was like, it was a really sweet kind of like, you know, it was a metaphor and it was like a awful horror, yeah. you know, moment. It's like the women being sacrificed while the men are the hosts. It's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, it, oof. yeah. Yeah. That really got me. Was there anything else that really jumped out at you? You know, just we've already touched on it quite a few times, but I really loved the ending for many reasons. One of them being how she flipped the dynamic between Francis and Noemi. Like, I feel as though in, I imagine one of one of the older gothic novels, like the woman would have been, you know, sick in bed, like asleep waiting for her to wake up and she survived. And the oh, man, yeah. Yeah. you know, the man sitting by the bed waiting for yeah, her the to kind wake of afterward up. after like they're, the, after they're yeah. down from and the mountain. I just like love the fact that, um, at the, you know, when it's all said and done, Francis, you know, the man is, you know, laying on the bed he's been out for three days we don't know if he's gonna survive and um you know she's just kind of that that center like you know that stronghold for him and he wakes up and is like i don't know if it's actually over i don't know if we're gonna be okay and you know just still kind of questioning it and her just kind of being like you know what we got through it we're going to take it as it comes and we'll do it together. And I just love that power flip. Yeah. You know, yeah. I thought it was fun. And another, I know I'm going backwards from, man, that would have been a really wonderful place to end. But I loved her interactions with the doctor. Oh. And the, you know, because that's another kind of like heroic white knight character going to solve all the problems. You know, the other educated doctor who's going to come along <laughs> and like fix the problem. Yeah, I really thought he was going to come in and be like, this is wrong and this is wrong. But no, he. And and there was literally her internal monologue was like, I keep expecting him to have answers. And he doesn't. <laughs> and he's not going to. And once again, it was kind of like externalizing that that kind of like idea of like the you know the male savior that's going to come along and she was disappointed with herself for seeking it out in that doctor like there was like internal monologue where she was talking about you know why do i keep asking him (laughs) and i thought that was clearly is extraordinarily inexperienced and doesn't know what he's talking about well and it wasn't even that he doesn't know what he's talking about he does not have the capacity right to help me no he is not in a position to help me. He doesn't have the capacity to help me. And me asking for his help, he's going to try and he's going to fail. And her kind of like realization and acceptance of this is kind of like what helped push her forward. But it was also another kind of mirroring of that kind of flipping of the, the you know, white, white knight coming to save the day kind of a thing. Yeah. 
Well, I think ultimately that's probably what called to so many people where and and allowed it to kind of transcend genre fiction is that you have this spooky tale whereas a lot of times we've kind of discussed this before females in in horror are portrayed horribly (laughs) just weak or dumb or kind of just scrambling along and here you have this amazing woman who kind of just stands her ground and has to save herself and everyone else at the end there wasn't a man right there wasn't uh you know there wasn't anything but at the end she it wasn't the doctor it wasn't anyone but her and her bravery and her drive to save her cousin and get them out of there that ended up getting them out of that situation yeah what do you think about Francis uh, killing his mom? I mean, it needed to happen. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that there was any extra weight involved in that other than the, the necessities of plot. Well, I mean, it also... I mean, yes, I think you were probably right. But if you really wanted to be, like, kooky and read into it, he was still suckling her breast metaphorically (laughs) and there was this tension between him wanting to stand up to the whole family and to his mother and be with noemi i mean and or even do the right thing and he had this like weird mommy like loyalty that i think just needed to die right and i think that he had to choose and it is kind of a i don't know it's a pretty big theme. Men have to eventually stop, stop. stop being their, you know, <laughs> their mother's baby and, and become the human that they they want to be and think for themselves. And I thought that, that was a, if you wanted to read into it, he kind of. But I, I love that, like, Virgil actually, like, Provided the Greek chorus commentary on it. So you finally got around to killing your mom, right. huh? <laughs> <laughs> and that was just like the cherry on the cake of yeah. like, oh, man, Virgil's a dick. He's <laughs> such an awful, awful man. <laughs> He's the, I mean, ultimately, I feel that he is the monster. Because you have this fungi... And you have the original god who was chasing immortality, which men have been trying to do since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, there's he is overtaken, and they are all, to a certain element, overtaken by this like weird, you know, fungi brain. But I do think that Virgil. He was trying to have his cake and eat it, too. He was like, well, I'm going to become the godhood, and I'm not going to let myself be consumed by grandpa. Right. I'm just going to take over. Right. And that that, that extra layer of, like, duplicitiveness Mm -hmm. of Virgil was... Virgil wasn't even, like, the good son helping out the family. He was, like, he was, like, on the make. He was, like, totally, you know, being like, yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to help you just enough so you can kill old grandpa before he uh, ascends. And and that definitely was the the plotting, conniving, gaslighting, you know, push and pull villain of the of the whole book. Yes. You know, the 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 grandpa was like the caricature. Sure. 
And I thought the 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 ghost of the the daughter who had gone around and killed earlier. Oh yeah. Like her story became like this really front and center as it went on. At first of all it was just like this this hidden legend and then it was like oh this thwarted love story but that was just what was told down in the village right. and it really was less about that and more about the ending of the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's perfect ending of the cycle. It was the ending. The ending. And then and then what was the thing that finally killed out all the fungus? The thing that she wasn't supposed to do the whole time? I was wondering if we were going to bring this up. The, the smoking? The, the smoking. Yeah, I thought that I, was great. It was so awesome. <laughs> and she really hinted at it because I kept being like, why <laughs> is this medicine doctor taking this girl's cigarettes and putting them on the altar? <laughs> she, I kept being like, why does she keep talking about these cigarettes? And it really was like this, like, it was, yeah, it was like this... Highlight on the cigarettes and Noemi, you know, it's like the sexy, like cigarette smoke at that time. And also that thing she wasn't supposed to do the right. symbol, the it's symbol like of rebellion of of you know an independent woman. Sure. Uh, and you know, and the the mom being like, you know, you you dirty woman, don't do that in my house. There was that sense of like old elder disapproval mm -hmm. from the first part of it. But as it goes on, it's just like, oh, this place is a tinderbox and it could like burst into flames. There was a practicality behind the mom's kind of like, you know, being against the smoking in the house. And the toxicity to the fun. The and the toxicity, yeah. Which was, yeah. ended up being so cool. It kind of flipped it. I mean, hopefully no one is taking this to think that we, <laughs> that we should smoke. all smoke right yeah, now. We should we not could... smoke. But <laughs> I thought it was, it was a really fun use of. Of that detail of her smoking ultimately being the thing that kept uh -huh. the fungus from from taking over her completely, yeah. even though she didn't have the tincture. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it was definitely cool. Um, so two thumbs up, five thumbs up. How do we how how do we want to rate books going forward? That's a good question. I've mulled over this before. And yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be really fancy with it, but I don't know. Maybe the... the... I think just being able to talk about it yeah. enthusiastically yes. without a lot of hemming and hawing yeah. is its own rating system, right? Yeah. Okay. okay. And like, I, I feel like one of the things is what I... I ask myself if I would recommend it to somebody else. Okay. I, and I would recommend this. I think I would have a disclaimer because there is some freaky deaky concepts but especially for um the points for me of of her being such a, sh a strong um awesome female lead and then just it being spooky it's like perfect for this season and yeah i i too would recommend it i would i would have some 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 warnings yeah. for my recommendation. Oh yes, and my my warnings are kind of go in the opposite direction. This is kind of a soft sell. It's like <laughs> it's a slow burn. It kind of undersells the horror. You're not gonna get right into it. Sure, but uh, <laughs> here we are meeting in the middle on it. You know, 
That's important. That's important to be able to do that. No, that's perfect. (laughs) So, um, do we have any thoughts about um, what we want to read next? I I think it has to be something also spooky, just not too scary, to where I can participate. Okay. So we're gonna get try and get one more read in in October. Yeah, we might um, we might do it. I record it. Maybe before Halloween, maybe a little bit after, but we'll get the reading done in, yeah. in this month. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll be thinking on that. I'm going to leave that as a teaser <laughs> and I'm not going to commit to anything in, um, in I was going to say commit to it in writing. <laughs> <laughs> commit to it in tape. No, we're not using mm-hmm. tape either. Wow. You just all yourself. my, all my metaphors are like, I'm going to go dial a phone now. <laughs> still kind of do that all right well thank you very much for joining us for this inaugural episode yes of an old bookseller and a young bookseller and again my name is jeremy lassen and i'm eleanor slate we are an old bookseller and a young bookseller and we'll talk to you next time thanks for listening